0: It's the podcast specifically for the Australian country music industry. Our country. Conversations with prominent Australian country music identities. Recorded and produced in Tamworth, Australia's country music capital at Radio 2TM. And now, the host of our country, 2TM presenter and award-winning singer-songwriter, Sally-Ann Whitten.
1: Welcome to episode two of Our Country, a podcast specifically designed for the Australian country music industry. I spoke to one of Australia's most recognisable faces of country music. He's been the front man for the Bushwhackers, the chairman of the Country Music Association of Australia, a teacher, one of the driving forces behind the Academy of Country Music, and has written some of Australia's most iconic and well loved Australiana songs Mr. Dobe Newton. Dobe gives us his surprising form. Formula for success discusses some of the traps for emerging musicians and the qualities needed to sustain a long-term career in the music industry. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Dobe Newton, thank you so much for being our special guest on our country music industry podcast. It's a pleasure to speak to you. Thank you for taking time out to speak to us today.
0: Pleasure, Sally Anne, and I'm I'm delighted to be early on in the program. Absolutely. It's almost as if I'm vaguely important.
1: Oh well, of course you are. Otherwise, we wouldn't be trying to speak to you. <laughs> uh-huh. We wanted to uh, to talk to some different people in the industry, people who've been around for a long time and who can offer some insights into some different aspects of the country music industry. Now, your story is an interesting interesting one. You started out as a student of law. I did. And I, you've ended up uh, in a bush band. How's know, that transgression, I progression, I should say? How's well, that? two
0: things. I, uh, I was at Sydney Uni doing, doing law. Well, I was doing arts law and the arts part of it was um, mainly history based, which I loved. And then two years into that, you start doing the law part. Which means that you go and hang out at the the law school, which was in Phillip Street in Sydney in those days. We're talking late sixties, and it was a really unattractive bunch of people. I have to say, <laughs> they were much
1: inside and out.
0: They were much less fun than the arts folks, and. I had this dream of, you know, being in the courtroom delivering the mesmerising address and, you know, getting people off charges and somebody said to me, oh, no, that's criminal law. Oh, there's only about really four or five jobs in the entire industry in, in the law and I said, well, what do the rest of them do? And he said, oh, you know, conveyancing and commercial law and I thought... Ugh, I don't think so. <laughs> Boring. So I finished the arts bit and I was thinking what should I do and love intervened.
1: Ah, yes. it's a love story.
0: It is a love story. So um, just when I'd finished the year of the arts degree, it was a New Year's Eve party in Sydney and I met this amazing woman. And next day, I discovered that she came from Perth.
1: Aha. Uh-huh.
0: And I thought, oh, really? <laughs> <What> <laughs> of all <am> the places. <laughs> I, what am I going to do? So I um, made up this story for my parents' sake that I was going to continue my studies, and the particular area of history I wanted to study could only be done in Perth. Seems legit. So, yeah. yes. So off I went, and actually I did. Find, I did find a subject, um, but that was what the end of the end of the sixties, and we're still together.
1: What a great love story! Yeah,
0: so I went over there, and I'd been a really, really pretty ordinary drummer.
1: A drummer, started a, life as a, a drummer. In a sort
0: of right? blues soul band oh. thing. Oh. And I went over there and there I met this bunch of Irish guys who were in a folk band. And they said, um, why don't you come and play with us? And I went, okay, what am I going to do? And they said, look, somebody's just left. Here's this thing called a Lagophone. <laughs> you are a drummer, you'll sort of get the hang of this. And I thought, oh, yeah. They said, "And here, here's a here's a tin whistle." I went. Ooh, way back in primary school, I used <laughs> to play the little fife of course. in in you know the high sc- the primary school band, and so we came over on a tour to play on one of those P&O cruises. Now this is early 70s so it's not the cruising country thing this is the
1: well before the fancy well stuff.
0: before well and you didn't get paid oh you got ouch. a free cruise a free holiday
1: wow. a working holiday yeah
0: working holiday so anyway we did all that and we're about to drive back to perth in the uh combi van and the engine blew up oh no and we thought, oh God, what are we going to do? And and so we did a benefit concert in Sydney with a bunch of folkies and that raised enough money to half repair the van. And they said, you should go down to Melbourne because there's a folk community down there. So I went down there, did the another benefit concert and these guys turned up who'd just formed a band called The Bushwhackers. And they played, and we played, and uh, we got enough money to fix the engine and toddle back to Perth. And they rang me up about six months later and said, Would you like to join the band? And I spoke to Sal, my new wife, and I said, What do you think? And she said, Well, you're halfway through your Diploma of Education. You know, I really think you should finish. And if you do finish and they ask you again, I'll follow you to Melbourne, which for anybody from Perth, that's a significant commitment. Getting Absolutely. people to, you know, it's like prizing the Oyster Open, <laughs> you know. And anyway, so I finished, they did ask, and off we went.
1: The rest is history. And that was
0: 73. And yeah, and here I am.
1: That's a massive career. That's such a long-spanning career over four decades, in it's fact.
0: It's crazy, isn't it?
1: Yeah, amazing. What do you well, think the secret is to the longevity of the bushwhackers? I
0: have absolutely... Well, one of... Uh, and I, you know, I say this to people and they think I'm joking, but one of the reasons is never having had a hit. Really? Uh, yeah, sure, because that instantly increases your profile but it puts you up there with all those other people who and and then when the fad moves on or the fashion or the cycle moves on you're one of the ones who gets spat out the rear and a lot of people find it really hard to cope with that so i mean all we've ever been is a hard-working live band and that's what's the most fun. I mean, making records and stuff is is fabulous fun. Mm. But the sort of music we play has never been anything other than on the fringes of either the folk scene or the country scene. So we've had to find ways of maintaining some sort of popularity. And that's really about delivering a show.
1: A live show, an experience yeah. for yeah. people.
0: And look, anything other than that... Is a plus. And, of course, now that the industry has changed so much and all those artists who were relying on things like record sales, Mm. all that stuff's being, you know, hey, everybody's on Spotify. That's right. It's
1: a totally different landscape. Yeah.
0: And so now I like to think, how clever was I?
1: You were How absolutely.
0: Clever? I predicted this, folks. <laughs> decades. You were ago.
1: onto this well before the rest yeah. of us. Absolutely.
0: But I mean, I think that's one of the reasons that we just haven't ever had that peak and then trough.
1: So a happening. constant, yeah, a constant, and on tour and and still being in front of people, but without dropping in and out. Just oh,
0: and and that's our thing, and we've been doing it so long that I'd like to think we understand what we're doing and we're pretty good at it. Absolutely. God, you'd hope so, wouldn't you, after decades?
1: (laughs) (laughs) I think we could all agree you guys are definitely (laughs) very good at it. That's an interesting uh, bit of advice for anyone up and coming. I think there's, and you would see more of this than I would, but there's a big focus on, especially with the young up and comers, that they need that big hit. They've got to write the big hit with the hook to get the hit, to get in front of people, to get the record deal, to get the tour. Yeah, yeah. So that's almost an antithesis to that. It's-
0: Absolutely, because, I mean, look, it it can happen way too early. Mm. I mean, really, those things like The Voice mm. and X Factor and mm. all of those, Instant all of those, I fame. mean, all of a sudden, people who've had sometimes very limited experience in performing, songwriting, and all of a sudden, they're given this national profile and people go, oh, wow. But if you're not ready to take the opportunity and if you can't deliver the goods mm. in a show, then you're in a bit of trouble. Absolutely. And and where are you going to be in 10 years' time? I mean, if you're 19 and that happens to you, what what are you writing songs about? What, what amazing life journey have you had at that age? Mm-hmm. I mean, you sure, you've had some stuff happen and a bit of, you know, teenage angst. Um,
1: that can only be a few songs, unless yes, you're Adele and you get about 10 albums out yeah, of it. Yeah, exactly, Adele, but, exactly. But,
0: but really, I mean, when, when we have all the students at the academy and especially the junior academy when they're 14 or 15 years old and sometimes they're in such a hurry and you say, listen don't be in such a hurry because if you look at anything, whether it's music or fashion or literature, everybody gets a few years where you are, if you're lucky, the flavor of the time. Mm. You know, nobody, hardly anybody's career manages to to maintain that momentum over, you know, 10, 20 years. There are a few, but when it happens, pray God that you're old enough to appreciate it but that you've got the skills and the training and have done the hard work to make the most of it.
1: I think that's really important and I see as I do a little bit of teaching as well music teaching and this expectation from particularly young vocal students that the way to get a career is Mm. to be seen. And back in my day, not that I'm that old, oh, but, uh, you know, it was always about working your way up, do the gigs, go out to Canamble and play for 50 bucks to drunk people to understand resilience and how yeah. to draw a crowd and how to keep a crowd and how to communicate with people, things like that. There's, there's not so much focus on that these days. Do you think that's falling a little bit by the wayside with some of our up and coming Well, I think artists? it'll
0: become important again, because as we've said, the the career path, which used to be a commercial recording hit, mm. um, that's far less liable, liable, far less likely to happen now than it was ten years mm. ago.
1: Absolutely. So
0: the way to keep people involved is that you're using social media and your and your communication skills to get people to come to your shows, where they see that you are hopefully a seasoned professional. Um, it was a bit like when we went for the first time to England in 74. We wanted to go there because there had been this enormous folk revival and we were a, you know acoustic bush band basically. And in Europe this amazing thing was happening where a whole new generation of people were reinterpreting old folk music but adding electric instruments and playing to young people and and this was terribly exciting at Mm. the time and we wanted to be part of that and it was really interesting to go to Europe which didn't have the same tradition of playing live as in Australia. I mean we saw, we'd heard records by all of these people and when we got there and went to see them live I mean some of them were really pretty ordinary Mm. and we went what's going on here and because the UK and Europe were so little um, and because the population was large people were actually able to almost survive on royalties from recordings and publishing and things and so a lot of them really didn't play live very often whereas for us it was the opposite where we couldn't possibly survive on that so we just were gigging all the time all the time so we were we were match hardened if Mm. you like so by the time we played we were terrific on stage and it was tight and all of that stuff um and a lot of the people we saw weren't that way and and over the years now of talking to people people who went to america early on had the same experience because a lot of the artists over there like you know Steely Dan who were, don't tour well mm. well they never played live they yeah. were a studio band you yeah, know yeah. and and I thought that's crazy I mean you couldn't do that in Australia
1: absolutely not. you can't make a living out no. of know yeah. and
0: there were lots of people you know so UK all over the place who were actually making a bit of a living off the recording so for us that's actually turned out all these years down the track to be a huge plus. And it's why we managed to have some outrageous people in the band. I mean, people you would never think, you know, like Tommy Emmanuel or, you know, Fred Storks, who was the drummer from Skyhooks. Yeah, of course. And Pete Farndon, who was the bass player for The Pretenders. I mean, they were bushwhackers. And you go, how in God's name did that happen? And really what it was was it was a completely new experience for them, but they were all hardened stage players too, and they loved it. They loved the fact that it was really good live show, and of course we got to benefit from all that amazing musicianship that they brought to it, so
1: it's good. Would you say that being a passionate performer uh, who's focused on putting together a really quality show and getting the best possible musicians is because that's something that you would hear young artists ask all the time how do you get plays like that i mean you see in australia the likes of say just for example say uh, james gillard and steve fernley yep. and um, Mick yep. Albeck and young people might be saying how do i get those guys what can i offer them to be to do some work with me how do i get how do i get the caliber of like that those kind of plays to do shows with me
0: money <laughs> Money speaks all yeah, languages. I, well it's it, it speaks a lot. It does, um, it does. But look, those guys those guys that you spoke, they can play with anybody. And so what would they choose? And I think songs. Yep. Quality of the songs and are they gonna have a good time? Yeah. I mean yep. that's it that's it. I mean they don't have to work with you. You exactly. know, I mean you are totally committed to your songs and your vision and everything else but for those guys they're at a stage in their career where they can pick and choose Mm. who they play for but somebody said to me really early on a very interesting thing that I really hadn't thought about and they and this person was um somebody I met at the uni in Perth and he was a Psychologist, and we were not talking psychology. We were actually at the pub, just. That's having, where a
1: lot of psychology gets well, discussed. That's true, all the good or stuff, or
0: at least observed. <laughs> yes. um, and we were having a jolly old chat, and he said, "We've just been conducting some experiments, and you, as a musician, might be interested to know that part of the experiments involved um, observations at concerts." And he said, We've come to the conclusion that 80% of what people hear is with their eyes.
1: Yes, people hear what they see. That's so exactly. true. Exactly.
0: And I went, Oh, so everything. And he said, Look, people in the theatre have known this forever. So gestures are big and grand. And you know, if you're going to do a very subtle facial expression, it may get to the second row, mm-hmm. and that's it. Um, and he said, so if you're performing live, and look, you can all think of the performers who understand that in spades, and ever since then, I've realized that that that's that's what it's about, basically so if i can if I can engage the attention by combination of the spoken word and the movements and all of those things that's the start if you don't do that then you're sort of lost them
1: yeah you've got to engage them absolutely they've
0: got to be interested yeah and then it's the quality of your songs and and the performance which will actually hold that attention but you've got to get them absolutely got to get them early
1: now we've spoken about the hard work aspects of doing the miles mm. to get yourself into a good position for your career. What you've got a background of education, you've mm-hmm. done a lot of uh, workshops and seminars and of course your involvement in the Academy of Country Music yeah. as well. How much how important is it do you think for people sp- sp- speaking specifically about country music artists to to have a good grounding of musical education? Oh.
0: Absolutely vital. I mean, look, it, it doesn't matter what industry you're working in. If you don't understand how it works, mm. then you are so far behind those that do. Yeah. So I was lucky enough. Um, we set up in Melbourne in 1994. Um, I was approached by a couple of people and they said, listen, we're going to set up the first TAFE course in... Um, in music business, and there hadn't been one before, because there are all those people out there who want some self-management skills and marketing and promotion skills. They want to know how the industry operates, contracts, copyright, the whole deal. And I thought, that's absolutely right, because I and everybody else I knew, I mean, we've signed what 12 recording contracts and publishing contracts Mm. over the years and they've all been dreadful. Um,
1: (laughs) The minefield. and,
0: And you're never really going to change them because they have the power to write the contract they want. So anybody going into it with this idea of, oh, I demand to be treated fairly, and you go, well, if you're a superstar... You might have a chance. Mm. The rest of us, here's the contract. Sign if here. you can get a better one somewhere else, by all means don't sign. And but you've got to know what you're getting yourself into. So I was really thrilled and I've been doing it ever since. And I would say to anybody that there are the things that you can you're born with, certain skills, you can hone some of those skills but the one vital thing is information. So you look out there and you go, I'm as good a singer as that person and I'm not quite as good a guitar player, but I'm practicing really hard and I'll be better. Now, if you don't have the same information that person has about how your industry works, then how are you going to actually make decisions about your business, because that's what it is. You are running a small business, whether you like it or not. Mm. And people go, oh, no, I'm just a songwriter, man. I'm just yeah. like into the creative stuff. And you go, well, I'm sorry. If that's the case, then you're a hobbyist. That's right. Right. That's, that's what you are. And there's nothing wrong with that. If that's what you want to be and you don't want to be interested or bothered with the other stuff, that's fair enough. But if you want a career then you have to have the business skills. And and a great part of that is just knowing how stuff operates and who does what so that your energies can be directed in the right place.
1: Hard work versus good luck. What do you think about that? bit of both?
0: Oh, God, yes. I mean, you know, people who appear to be lucky have invariably worked really hard. Mm. And, like, you know, we had an example on Tuesday night when young Keith returned to play at the Town Hall. You know, now, he spent 10 years mowing lawns in Nashville, right? 10 years. Yep. I mean, he he was a rising star here. He could have quite easily stayed and gone... I'll just bask in the glory of being, you know, hometown boy makes good and all that sort of stuff. But I ha- I've never met, no, that's not quite true, but, but a tiny percentage of the people I meet who appear to be overnight sensations, mm-hmm. um, you know, they've all, they've all paid their dues. They've all been working 10 years minimum to hone their craft. So if you haven't got the work ethic then maybe, maybe, maybe if you are absolutely outrageously talented, somebody will come along and drag you into the spotlight. But gosh, you can count those people on the fingers of one hand, I reckon. The rest of us have to really
1: work hard at it. That's uh, such good advice. I think there is a little bit of an expectation, I think, these days. And I, I blame the, the YouTube sensations and the, the reality TV shows that pick people, seemingly pick people out and throw them into the spotlight. Yeah. And uh, there's an expectation, I think, that that's, that can happen and that that happens a lot. But it's really, yeah. it's not. It's not a thing.
0: <laughs> Look, it's like the cat video. I mean, how many cats are there in the world and somebody dresses you up as a shark and puts you on a robo-vac. And the next thing, you are a cat sensation internationally. That's right. And the same thing happens to people. People just do stuff and all of a sudden they are stars. And what have they done? There isn't any great substance Substance, to it.
1: exactly And
0: right. And there's a lot of people who are doing... A lot of crazy stuff on Stunting. social
1: media, circus acts almost, you know.
0: Yeah, and, and but the pressure that, that a lot of young artists, especially, feel under to constantly feed the machine, mm-hmm. you know, because it, it's this ever hungry beast with gnashing teeth, yeah, and you've got to go oh, I haven't done a post today, yes. I haven't done a new video, I've got to feed the beast, got to feed the beast, otherwise nobody will love me. Mm-hmm. And, of course, it's not true, but it's very hard to convince them that you might just like to take three or four days and just do one quite good thing yes. rather than, quickly, quickly, let's do a video, take, th- take this and I'll put it up immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, but they will only learn... By trial and error. I mean, really, we all do. And as much advice as advice as we give people, um, and they appear to be very grateful for it, um, something's nagging away, going, eh, "He's an old bloke. I'm not sure he understands <laughs> this at all." Don't so, who?
1: Who's that yeah, guy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> so maybe I'll do it, and yeah. then they go, "Oh, oh, he might have been." Might right be something after to all. that. Yeah. But look, we all do that, and. And, you know, it's like being a kid with uh, don't don't put your hand there, that's hot. Gotta really, really yourself. is it hot? I'll How just, hot? I'll just see, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, it is hot, right, I won't do that again. toilet error. Exactly.
1: And things in the things in your career with the Bushwhackers, uh, in all those years that you've done that you look back now and think, if I hadn't have done that, we could have got there sooner or I wish I hadn't done that, that actually hindered what we did or or those mistakes somehow. And, and I hate to sound cliche, but every mistake you learn something from.
0: Yeah. And as I said, I don't know. There are no, there are none of those. And it's mainly because we never had to deal with that commercial success. Mm. I mean, in a recorded sense, you know, there's a bit of airplay here and there, but like nothing that what you could vaguely call a hit. And if that happens, then all of a sudden you're under incredible pressure to produce another one. And then you go, oh, now should we go on tour and support that or so we, and it was the time when the industry moved so much more slowly. So if we did make any mistakes, then we got to reflect on them at leisure and go, oh, we must remember not to do that again. But Mm. they they were never anything that could have been labelled as, you know, fatal to one's career. So we very much got to chart our own journey. And, I mean, we did some... and, And one of the things I always say to the students is you must never, I hope, arrive at a point in your life where you reflect on your involvement in music and go, you know what, I wish I'd done that. Mm. Because my advice always is if your heart's telling you that this is the time to go and have a crack, then you should do it. And, you know, which is talking earlier about Keith mm. and, and Kylie Sackley. Now, Kylie was a student at the academy and in the early years of the Academy. And I was blown away by her because she had this sort of sort of post-punk, um, Chrissy Amphlet, Divinal sort of vibe thing happening in, in country.
1: Mm.
0: And there'd never been anything vaguely like that in country. And I thought, this could really... Shake up female participation. Who, who? It's not going to be Dolly and Patsy Cline yep. and stuff. And and of course, it would it would communicate to younger audience. And I thought when she won Star Maker, I thought this is going to be amazing. And then she defied all our expectations and just went, "Nah, I'm going to go to Nashville and become a songwriter." Went, <laughs> what are you doing? You're what? throwing away, yes, yes, throwing away. But that's what she wanted to do and she was determined to do it and good on her because it turned out to be the right thing yeah. to do. And, and, you know, when we went to England that first time to be part of this amazing musical adventure, we'd written... In those days, you had to write and post a letter. Oh, the inconvenience. I know, not even a (laughs) fax machine. What? We'd written to 350 folk clubs in the UK and said, it's your lucky day, the bushwhackers are coming from Australia and we'd love to play at your folk club. One reply. And we booked our tickets and we were all going, my God, what are we going to do? And we said, listen... The reason we were going is we wanted to be part of this excitement. We think it will be important for us as people and musicians. And so off we went. And we sort of avoided starvation by going and busking in Earl's Court where all the Aussies were. Which we swore we would (laughs) never do. But it was the only way we stayed alive for the first couple of months. Bless you if anybody's listening. And... um, and, but that was it. We just decided that it was right for us then artistically and we didn't want to die wondering. And I would say to anybody out there, it can be hard and painful and everything else, but if it's what you really want to do, then go for it.
1: Good advice. Better than regret well, or wondering. maybe not good advice. But <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. It might be yes. good advice. <laughs> and and since you've started out all those years ago in a music career, I mean, the landscape has changed so much. What are the big changes that you've seen, the significant changes in the Australian country music scene? And what, what do you think the challenges are now for young people, or not necessarily young, emerging it is a better word, emerging artists? What are the biggest Challenges now for oh, them Oh, I'm
0: so glad I'm not young. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, because I mean, there was there was a ladder, a clearly defined. You know, when we first started, you started playing gigs, you developed a bit of a, you know,
1: following name, bit
0: of a following, bit of a buzz. Mm-hmm. You invited the agent down; they got you some more gigs and then you got to a stage where you invited representatives from the publishing company and the record company and maybe, just maybe, if you're really lucky um, you started the discussion. Now all of that took quite a long time which was a good idea because by the time you did come to record most of the things that you recorded on that first product of course had been road tested for a couple of years In front of audiences, Mm. so you knew what worked, and if it didn't work, you either abandoned it or you changed it and said, "Look, why don't we try this?" And so you actually, you know, all the product got to be tested. Now that time frame has Mm concertinaed so ridiculously that people all of a sudden are. You know, oh, wow, you've got, you know, 850 million followers on uh, Facebook or YouTube or whatever. Come and make a record now. And you go, oh, well, I'm not sure I've got all the songs. Oh, look, don't worry about that. We'll get some. And so the speed of things is insane. Now, but it is what it is, and Mm. you've got to be able to cope. So older performers have done a very wise thing, which in the main is find a young person who actually <laughs> understands the technology and they give them a gig. So there was no gig for a social media, you know, assistant yes, yeah. um, or videographer. I mean, but there's a lot of young artists out there who are actually providing those services for other artists in their genre, and, and particularly in country, um, which is great. So, you know, it gives them a, a bit more exposure, they're learning, they're getting a really valuable expertise, and they're making a few bob. But the the speed of change is, is I think, the most dramatic thing I've said because the technologies always change, and there's always advancements, and... People's tastes in music go through cycles, but but it was always a much slower, but it's just, it's exponential mm. now, you know, I mean, who would have thought that it took the CD, what, 15 years, maybe even more, to effectively be supplanted by the next digital format? Um and then iTunes came along, everybody was downloading. Now, five years later, gone.
1: Yeah, not different gone, again.
0: But the same way.
1: Mm.
0: And now now it's Spotify and Apple Music and, and Google Play. Now, what's the next one? I don't know, but it's not far away. That's what I do That's know. That's right, for because sure. Because everybody's out there going. And it's insane because you can connect the whole world by something you're holding in your hand mm. as in a smartphone. That's amazing.
1: Scary, I think. It's I a mean, little bit I mean, you know,
0: we thought that the biggest revolution in the world was I've got, I've got a CD, I'll rip the CD, I'll download it to my iPod mm. and, boy, aren't I up with modern technology <laughs> And, of course, an iPod. Who's seen an iPod? I
1: know. They're gone, aren't they? Well, they're
0: in everybody's bottom drawer somewhere, yes, you know. Yes, that third drawer from like, the top yeah, of the yeah, kitchen. Yeah, yeah. yeah, And And what's this What's this lead for? Oh, that's for the iPod. <laughs> yes. Can't use it for anything else. That's it. But it's um, – so that's – I think that's the most dramatic change I've seen, apart from all the, the bits and pieces. It's just the speed.
1: Do you think with all those – inventions and now the downloading uh, it's which makes it's you know we're making less and less money out of the mm. physical or not so much physical but the audio product yep. of our music does that mean that touring now again is really the forefront of how artists can not only make more money out of their product or out of what they do but get in front of people and and show them what we can do
0: oh absolutely and and The funny thing is in country music, with the exception of maybe half a dozen artists, it was always that way. Mm. So for the rest of us, you say, well, nothing's changed really Mm. because none of us were making a lot of money out of those retail sales avenues, whether they were in a shop with a physical product or online as a download. So there was selling selling merchandise which often included an audio product at a gig so that it becomes a memento and and in people's memories associated with a particular experience. So if you've got a if you can develop an audio product that is different and is connected with with people's memory of a a live Mm. experience that's going to be important and look there are i mean a really interesting thing that's happened in america recently is that one of the problems i've always had with with youtube is that you get all those people coming along to your gigs and they're fans and that's great and they take a video oh yes
1: i know where this is going
0: well and they (laughs) share it and and. because the cameras are so good in those phones now, the the video actually looks really good, mm. but the audio is up to Right? Because they're standing in front of the speed, whatever. It was. And somebody in America's gone, okay, so we've got two choices. Two choices now. We can either stop people filming at gigs. Now, I mean, really. We're going to stand in the way of the speeding train and put our hand exactly. up. Exactly. No, no, please stop. Can try,
1: but probably yeah. not going to happen.
0: And, and look, there were a couple of festivals in America about five years ago where they actually confiscated mobile phones mm. because people were. to have guns, but no mobile phones. Exactly so. Yeah. Yeah. And they had a couple of medical emergencies, and of course, nobody could call an ambulance mm. and people died. Mm-hmm. So, ooh... That'll be a lawsuit mm-hmm. of some millions. So we're not going to do that. So somebody's actually had a thought about this and there's a um, program now which will give you a very small um, Wi-Fi station in, in the venue which has a direct feed audio feed from the mixing desk and people with Bluetooth can simply sync so they can video the gig and and get the reasonable sound ah, from the desk.
1: That's that's like the pill testing for festivals. So exactly. we can't stop them, but so yeah. we might as well yeah. give them the, the well, good stuff. Well, if they're and gonna splash
0: it... you all over, thank you very much for doing that, yes. folks. But I'd yes. rather not sound appalling. Yes. So that people go, oh god, I don't think I'll go and see <laughs> them. Um, but if we can make that better, then that's great. And and look. All of those things were totally unavailable to us all. So any promote, you know, I mean, you imagine being Slim Dusty and everybody goes, wow, wasn't that amazing that he actually relentlessly toured the country for 50 years, Mm. around and around and around. But that was the only way... To spread the word. That's right. Like he had to do that because maybe he got played a little bit on regional radio but it was the power of the word of mouth and so by the fifth time he turns up in Goulburn he's got you know he's built the audience from 45 to 150 and then he probably can do it to 250 or 300, which means he's actually, but that's taken years. Mm. Now, of course, we can connect theoretically with all of those people instantly, but then so can everybody in that's the entire right. world. So, yep. you know, how do you, and that's when I was talking about the information, unless you understand some of the basic marketing principles Mm. then you are just going to be white noise
1: yeah lost in the crowd
0: and there will be some people who will cut through and you go how did that happen well you've got to find out how that happened and talk to people what did they do that you should be doing that's right anyway but as i said. It's exhausting. Where do you find time to write a song?
1: That's right, Why with all the business yeah. stuff going on as well. Yeah, You've got yeah. to have almost two brains, creative and business Absolutely,
0: brain. absolutely. And that's really hard. Yeah. I mean, look, when I think about it, because it was so such a defined path, you went, oh, look, let's have a bit more fun and maybe we'll just be a bit slower in taking the next step. But nobody's nobody's giving you the time now. Come on. Move on, next step, yeah. now. If you don't take it now, we'll find somebody who will.
1: That's right. Instant. Everything's got to be done yesterday. Mm. And what do you think about, do you feel yourself it, that it's harder to get people out of their homes and to a live show? Things like... Uh, You know, the new drink driving laws, which I remember from 100 years ago, weren't quite so well enforced. You could have a few beers and still drive, you know, all sorts of uh, rules and regulations now about what people can and can't do when they go out. The advent of of YouTube, cat videos on YouTube, Netflix, all those things. People don't need to leave their homes to feel connected to people or to music. Do you think that affects audience numbers? Is it harder to get people to get out to a good live show, do you think?
0: Look... It's very hard to tell in country because we're dealing with an older demographic and they, well, the research I'm doing, it'll be interesting mm. when I actually come to analyse, you know, we've got 3,500 responses from fans asking all those sorts of questions. Um, older folks are used to going out, right? Um, it'll be interesting to see in 10 years' time how... 19-year-olds are going to gigs. But but you see, in rock and roll world, where there are just the same social media and all those things, hasn't stopped of going to gigs. Mm. In fact, we did two census projects in Melbourne on live music and Melbourne's live music, venues, performances, audiences, all increased in the last the first one was 2012 and we just did one 2017. Now the problem is you actually have to have the venues and Sydney is a classic example of how to destroy a music scene almost Mm single-handedly because Melbourne Melbourne had and and so the problem is that if you haven't got venues to encourage people to go out, then they won't go out. Yeah. And they're not. That's right. And, you know, what, 220 venues in Sydney in the last four years have closed?
1: That's I mean, a huge that, amount. That's
0: insane. And, I, I mean, you know, and they weren't starting off with that many anyway. Yeah, that's right. Um, but the people who made those decisions, the lockout law decisions, weren't persuaded or or purposely played the violence and music card and were trying to fix up a situation which was more or less confined to King's Cross Mm -hmm. but were slack or lazy or... Frivolous for whatever reason, and just went, Oh, now look, let's do it for all the CBD and stuff, and you know, just make it one blanket law absolutely. Yeah, Yeah, it's too Too hard, too hard. Yes, yes, yeah, and it's just been devastating. Mm. I mean, Melbourne thought about it four or five years ago and trialed a week, I think it lasted. And then they all went, "Oh, hang on a minute," because they were trying to solve the same problem. Because there was a little nightclub strip, which was causing late night grief with um, alcohol and violence issues. But you know, there's all this, there's all this really verifiable, authentic, scientific data which basically says that there's less violence in venues where there's music than where there's just drinking going on. Isn't Blabla.
1: that interesting?
0: And and there's hardly any, but it's a bit like the climate change debate. You know, I mean, here we are in Australia still giving airtime to people who go, oh, no, no, oh, no, climate change is a hoax. You go, you have hot. Right. <laughs> when 99.9% of the evidence suggests something, yeah. I reckon you've got to go with do it. Do some reading, yeah. And, but that's been dreadful in Sydney. So I think it depends very much. Lock yourself in your bedroom, watch a bunch of YouTube and stuff, but then think about the other, the flip side of that, which is that there are all those people touring now in Australia who wouldn't have been able to do it If people hadn't found them, and, you know, I go to... um, I've been lucky enough to get a gig with Sounds Australia. So for the last nine years, I've been going to the Americana Festival in Nashville every September, which is just a magnificent festival. But someone like Jason Isbell. Mm -hmm. Now, he emerged, what, six or seven years ago as a bit of a americana rising star now i saw him in melbourne five years ago playing at the northcote social club which is a terribly groovy venue but would hold about 230 or 40 and northcote's you know one of the little entertainment precinct hubs now because of what he's been able to do in terms of promoting his music through digital channels and because Americana's become increasingly, you know, groovy. Very groovy. um, Last time he was in Melbourne last year, he was doing venues with four times the capacity Mm. and that was just on the basis of what had happened in the interim. Now, that couldn't have happened pre... The digital promo so while it may make some people just simply be couch potatoes and consume their music at home i think people get connected with a whole bunch of people that they may not have seen before and when the chance comes to see them live they're there
1: mm. So that's when you we come back to having the live product ready to go to yeah. to keep them on board. Oh,
0: absolutely! Because if you disappoint them and you're not ready, then sorry, they ain't gonna come back.
1: Straight back to Netflix. Yeah, yeah. Well,
0: and they'll and they'll go and see the next one. Mm. You know, I mean, and there are some great singers and musicians out there who are deadly dull live, mm-hmm. and and. Okay, well, good luck is yeah. all I can say. Yeah,
1: it's great to have the talent and the expertise, but if you can't communicate something can make your audience feel anything, yeah, yeah. it's all for naught. I not. mean,
0: just, just make records, you yeah. know. Steely Send, Dan. Two words for you, Steely Exa- Dan. Yeah, yeah. Send <laughs> out recordings and let people, you know, drool yep. over your musicianship. Absolutely. But don't pretend that you're an entertainer.
1: Exactly. That's some good advice, dope. Uh, and well, I've gained so many interesting insights. Uh, mainly, what I've got from you is about the definition of success, because you're you're redefining it. I think what success actually means, and what I mean, it's I guess it's what it means to me it might be different to what it means to you, what it means to Jason Isbell. But yeah, not having a number one hit and still having an incredible career. The Bushwhackers are a household name, not only in Australia. But all over the world.
0: Yeah, yeah. Look, I mean, and and I'm really quite serious that that had we been confronted with the decisions that have to be made when you've got so much commercial pressure on you, then quite often... I mean, I, I know any number of musicians who have been chewed up and spat out mm. by the machine. You see it. Um, especially older musicians because in those days there was no... I can do this myself, it was the machine mm. or nothing. Yep. And so you had, to, you had to abide by their rules. And, of course, they were fickle. And, you know, their business is selling product. And once you stop selling product, sorry, mate, we love you. Next. But we've got to let you go. Yeah, um, yeah. So, yeah, so I'm, I, I feel really blessed that we've been allowed to do things our own way. And to make decisions which mean that we've hardly ever done things that we've hated doing. And and to be in a job for 48 years mm. where you've hardly ever had something that you go, oh, I didn't enjoy that. I mean, there's the odd time. But, I mean, that's pretty rare. So I'm, I'm grateful.
1: That's amazing. Very lucky. Oh, well, you know, hard work creates luck. But... Blessed, hashtag blessed, as the kids would say. (laughs) Hashtag blessed. Uh, Now, finally, to wrap up, if you could offer an emerging artist one crucial little bit of advice from Dobe Newton, what would that be?
0: Don't be in a hurry because, I mean, it's a dreadful cliche, but... Not at all. People say, you know, it's the journey that matters, not the destination, and I'm here to tell you that's absolutely true. You've got to... You've got to be able to take time to smell the roses. I mean, we decided really early on when we were touring the Outback, which we did for years and years and years, but we always said if we look like we're going somewhere interesting, we will not do that thing where we roll into town in the afternoon, do the sound check, do the gig, pack up and drive off the next morning. We always tried to have a day to hang out, you know, meet people, go and see the country. And really, that was a really good thing to do because you do meet some amazing people, which often leads you into songwriting ideas and things Mm. that would never have occurred to you. And you do see the most spectacular things. And it's such a bummer to go, you know, hundreds of kilometres and somebody says, oh, oh, you were at so-and-so. Did you go out too? And Yeah, and you go, oh, no.
1: Didn't know it was there. Oh, no,
0: no. We only got into town in the morning and we were gone the next morning. And anyway, and and we won't be back there for years. But so we've always done that here and overseas. Now, sometimes that puts a bit of economic pressure on you. Mm. But we just figured that at the end of the day... It is the journey that's important and it and helps you grow as an individual and it helps you grow as an artist too. So don't think it's all going to be over by the time you're 28.
1: Still got time. That's good to know. <laughs> hey. Dove Newton, thank you so much for an incredible bunch of insights and some really wonderful information and uh, it's been an absolute pleasure and an honour to speak to you today for our podcast series. I can't thank you enough. Thank you Thanks so much. Thanks for having me, Sally. And... Thanks for joining me for Our Country. Join us for our next episode next month where I will chat to Matt Phil, golden guitar winning producer and owner of Love Hurt Studios. The
0: song is the be-all and end-all of everything, so I am only interested in making a song sound as good as it can possibly be.
1: That's next month on Our Country. Our Country, the Australian country music industry podcast cast is a production of Radio 2TM Tamworth. Our host is Sally Ann Witten. Production
0: is by Jared Brooke and Scott McLaren and our executive producer is Gavin Flanagan.